언니 나랑 같이 사셨어? 아니. 그거 어떻게? 나를 왜어 이거. 오 마이. 그러니까 내가 어제 비디오 달라 그랬지. 연습한다고. Oh my god. Speaking of supremely centered, have you tried the new Deepak Chopra meditation challenge? I love it. I love it. Love it. <웃음> oh my god. Do you know what I just realized? If Deepak and Oprah got married, her name would be Oprah Chopra. Oh my. Oh my god. 계속 오마이 가시네 이거. 네 번이네. <웃음> Oh my god, you are so totally on a whole other wavelength. Sometimes I say money so well. I swear. So, so? So where? I swear. 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 Okay, so I'm sitting here with January. Hello. And January is an artist. She is a musician. She is an actress. She is a seminary student, a pastor's kid. She is just totally, totally boss right now. She's doing, what is that called? This is a dab. <laughs> yeah, that's what she's doing right now. <laughs> Which is totally her because she cracks me up like a lot. Okay, anyways, so January, I want to hear about you and just your background mm. and being like a what, like 10th generation pastor's kid? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it feels like I'm in like the pedigree. If there was a best in show for pastor's daughter, it might be me. <laughs> they come from a long pedigree of pastors. So my grandfather's a pastor, uh -huh. my uncle is a pastor, and wow. my dad is a pastor. Oh, so wow. growing up within a 30-mile radius. We had three different little home churches. Oh, nice. And this is in the Bay Area. So um, I that's all I knew, essentially. And I also played a lot of classical music growing up as I think well-bred Asian uh, Americans <laughs> do. They learn a lot of music. And um, being a part of growing up in the Silicon Valley, I also was really um, focused on schoolwork. Mm -hmm. So my childhood was defined by church on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And then school during the week, and on the weeknights, just three to four hours of practicing violin every mm, single night. Wow. And my mom has a classical piano training background, so okay. she was sort of like um, she was the one who managed me, if you will. So I'll go ahead and pause right there. You know that clip you heard at the beginning of the episode? Well, that was January and her mom being really cute, so that's why I played it. Anyways, January here is talking about how her mom has shapes and informs her life and her art. And so I thought I'd play a beautiful clip of them performing together. And all the music you hear in this episode is from January herself. Oh, and welcome to the Protagonistas. Hi, I'm January. Hi, I'm Mommy. Okay, and today we're going to be playing um, Schubert's Arpeggio Viola Piano Sonata.
that she found out early on from all of my different um, teachers who, who kind of t- like taught me that I was actually talented at it. Mm. Surprise, you know? Yes. So yeah. <laughs> then it was like on the weekends, I would also go to this conservatory of music. So it's the San Francisco Conservatory of Music where I was a scholarship student. And every nice. weekend for about 13 years or so, every Saturday was devoted to, you know, uh, soulfish classes, music theory classes, and um, arithmetics, and all that jazz, and the orchestra, chamber music, recitals. Wow. So that was essentially it. That's all I knew. And wow. um, given my Asian American background and culture, perfection was a given. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So getting straight A's at school, but also uh, acing every recital, making sure there was no mistakes. Even my uh, lessons on a weekly basis, my mom would go in there with a camcorder or mm. a recorder mm. just so I could monitor that Whoa. like throughout the week. Yeah. Um, and I entered into several competitions, some which I won. And then later on, as I got older, um, it becomes more difficult to stay elite. Right? Yeah. So yeah. it's like kind of a pyramid effect where as you develop classically, you find out um, whether or not you kind of make it into top dog status. And yeah, as you turn 14 and 15, what flew at six no longer mm-hmm. applies. And so I think by the time I was 16, 17 years old, my parents figured she's not going to become like the virtuoso violinist we wanted her to be, mm-hmm. but we always envisioned her to go into like Juilliard or mm-hmm. um, go to a different conservatory and major in music. I think that's kind of what they expected. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did instead was... <laughs> um, <laughs> And I'm kind of going off tangents here. Is no, it okay? This okay, is cool. Go ahead. So what, what would happen is that as a kid, clearly, I think it was a lot for any kid to handle, yeah. right? And um, and that's not to even going into the aspect of like what church itself looked like, which we can talk about a little bit later. But for me, I the way I buckled against this expectation to always be perfect or like be that elite musician was on Sunday evenings, my 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 kind of only given time of rest or Sabbath. I would watch these old black and white musicals that I borrowed from wow. the library. And the reason why I could do that was because the one of the few places I could go on like a leisurely basis that my parents would allow me to go to was the library. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> so I, would not, I was not allowed to go to the mall. I didn't really go to the movie theaters that much. I didn't go over to friends' houses. But to the library, I could. Yeah. Right? <laughs> because I could study and yeah. read and become cultured even more. And so these movies that they had, my parents found it to be helpful to my education. Mm. So like Black and like like Rowan Holiday, I would watch mm. that over and over again. Um, Judy Garland musicals, Meet Me in St. Louis, I would watch that over and over and wow. over again. And that would be my Sunday Sabbath. And I would find a lot of release and peace in that. And so that kind of developed throughout my childhood, my love for film, my love for mm. classic film especially. And Therefore, when it came time to choose which college I was going to go to, mm. I kind of flipped the switch on my parents, unbeknownst to them, and I applied to all these film schools. So and they weren't expecting that? They were so not expecting wow. that. And it came down to me locking myself into a restroom on the last day to turn in a yeses or noes to your colleges, right? The postmark mm-hmm. deadline was that day, 5 p.m., and my parents really wanted me to go to like uh, NYU and, and graduate. They now knew that maybe music wasn't my path, but still graduate with something other than film. Yeah. And so they were like, no, go to this school. And I was like, no, I'm going to go to Boston University for film. Whoa. And we fought for like hours <laughs> through oh a God. bathroom door. <laughs> and then at like 4.45 p.m., my dad was like, if our daughter wants to ruin her life by going to film wow. school, let her do it. And, and so, you went. And I went. And you went. And I went all the way across <laughs> yes. the country. And I was like, Come on, 
on. And I was totally going to do my own thing. And that's how I kind of ended up going to film school. And it yeah. came out of nowhere, but it came out of the, the kind of Sunday evenings that I that's spent. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, just trying to escape from my, my, my heavy, I guess, in that context yeah. reality of being that perfect musician, being that perfect wow. pastor's daughter, being that perfect student. Yeah. Um, kind of finding escape in that you know fantasy world yeah so I went to Boston and that kind of ends kind of like my childhood phase I, I suppose mm-hmm. oh that's that's awesome yeah. well that's beautiful um, and so can you talk to me about you your your parents immigrated mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess what has been your experience being sort of like a bicultural kid in a way or okay so um, it was interesting uh, I think by virtue of growing up with, as a pastor's daughter I learned Korean first mm-hmm. um, I learned how to pray in Korean I learned how to read the Bible in Korean and mm-hmm. it's actually very difficult mm-hmm. to, it's difficult Korean language mm-hmm. to learn it that way mm-hmm. versus like watching um, some TV show mm-hmm. or learning kind of at school at like mm-hmm. some language school so in an odd way, I spoke Korean all my life very fluently. And I think that is something that I'm discovering was um, kind of unusual. Mm. Um, so I never attended like a separate language school at all, but always within the home and within um, the church. I like memorized like loads of verses in Korean and thought mm. that was like the normal thing to do. Yeah. Um, so just kind of speaking my native, my mother tongue within the home was a very natural, normal thing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the weekends, obviously, um, we would go to church and all of the, the parents, the deacons, the elders were also first-generation Koreans. Mm-hmm. So the culture itself was truly embedded mm-hmm. within everything that I did on the weekends and throughout the week at home. Yeah. Uh, so uh, patriarchy was the, absolutely the norm. Mm-hmm. Respect your elders, but respect your male elders. Yeah. Uh, using formal language, mm-hmm. even if you know I'm Korean American, speaking to them in Korean, mm-hmm. um, and making sure that you know everything from like eating after uh, mm-hmm. the elders, or mm-hmm. even as a woman, like helping my mom serve in the mm-hmm. kitchen as a child growing up, mm-hmm. um, staying quiet when I was told something, mm-hmm. um, whether it was within the church or at home. All these things were things that, in hindsight, now I recognize as like, wow, that's a total. Korean thing mm, and maybe even yeah. a Korean American specific culture like mm. I'm, I'm not quite certain if women especially who grew up in actual Korea my age grew up under the same kind of strict patriarchy mm. and standards I grew up in mm. I wonder if it's because as immigrants things were kind of frozen in time yeah. and there was this need to preserve what we know the culture yeah. that you know my parents knew the culture of the church that they grew up in back in Korea and mm. like felt like they needed to foster and nourish mm. like I kind of now wonder if it's it was more actually stringent for me than it was mm. for someone who was actually Korean yeah. and kind of growing up in that context but yeah I would definitely say like I definitely feel like that was a major part of uh, growing up, just especially, and, and, and sensing for sure that, yeah, male dominance, mm. not to be questioned. Yeah. You know, my dad always had the final say, or the male elders always had the final say within the church, and especially because there were three pastors growing up, my goodness, yeah. you know, all that emphasis. <laughs> yeah, that's huge. <laughs> yeah. Maybe one other thing I touch upon is like this whole idea of saving face and the shame culture I think that resides within um, Korean culture in general is that um, transparency was never really uh, encouraged mm. because anything that brought shame to the family period is not good, mm. but also as 
um, a pastor's family as a leader of a church there's even more of a pressure to maintain that, oh, yeah. to maintain the peace and make sure that what, how people view us as leaders within the church, like we would have to be, we would have to be the ultimate model. Totally. Right. And set the example. So whatever I did, even as a six-year-old, eight-year-old, will reflect on how my mm-hmm. parents taught me, right? Yeah. Will reflect on their performance as parents. Or, or what they were teaching me within scripture. Yeah. Would, all of that stuff would count even as a younger child. Yeah. And whatever my parents did will also directly reflect onto me, even mm-hmm. if I had nothing to do with their decision making. So I think this idea of like, um, do what you're told, do it well, don't bring shame upon your family, mm-hmm. um, don't complain, mm-hmm. all of that to save, you know, kind of our face, you know, in public, that was a really big part of me just growing up and kind of building yeah. my own identity as well. Yeah. So talk to me about that. Like your, maybe your identity like as a Christian. Like mm-hmm. how did that? Because I know a lot of, of kids who grew up in, in just very strict cultures or, or just specifically Christian, you know, strict Christian cultures. Um, that obviously affected them later on spiritually. But mm-hmm. right now you're in seminary. So yeah. how did that? You know, how did your relationship, your spiritual, you know, relationship with God? Totally. Totally. So I would say that <clears throat> I went through the whole like conversion experience at a separate church i went to uh my dad's friend's church's summer retreat Mm. when i was in sixth grade and they had the altar call and i I responded emotionally i think as any sixth grader could ever do but i think i always viewed god more as an authoritarian yeah just like i would view any male male elder in the church totally right so whatever god tells you to do you should do it or Mm. you're gonna go to hell yeah or your life is not going to pan out. Mm-hmm. Your what you want, God will never give you mm-hmm. if you don't follow and obey and submit to His will. Yeah. That was always how I viewed God. Therefore, yeah. when I decided to flip the switch on my parents and even go to film school, for me that was an act of defiance. Also with God, like yeah. I am tired of being poster child for your mm-hmm. church and being told what to do and almost being used yeah. uh, for whatever purposes that you have for me. Like, I'm done doing that. Mm-hmm. I want to choose what I want to do. Yeah. And I want to be whoever I want to be. Yeah, like, yeah. not be prescribed, um, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So when I went to Boston, it was like the first time um, that I didn't go to church regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Did you know? I did the whole drinking scene. I did the whole partying scene and, and the dating scene, and um, I quickly fell out of you know the regular Sunday mm-hmm. rhythm. And because Boston just happens to be this super intellectual, super mm-hmm. smart, but also thriving young person city, mm-hmm. um, it was as if I was like a shark in a small pond mm-hmm. within a thirty mile radius at home in California. But now it's becoming a minnow in an ocean, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And in so many ways, that poster child became a nobody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> in the midst of normal, just growing up as well, the confusion between being 18 and 21 and whatever, like I quickly lost all sense of who I was. Mm-hmm. And that was me in college, just yeah. trying to scramble around and make these student films, party and try to explore things and then try to find part-time jobs that like I would never have done or thought to have done, like working at gift shops, working at bars, working at things at like mm-hmm. places that my parents will never approve of yeah. just all trying to find myself yeah, yeah. and trying to see what I'm good at and recognizing that none of this made me happy mm-hmm. nothing made me feel full at the end of the day mm-hmm. and it was crazy because 
all this time, even throughout high school, extracurricular stuff wise, I was doing a lot of theater. I was a thespian. <laughs> and then when I went to Boston, like I did a lot of like um, non theater major shows as well, just for fun. Mm. And at that time, Grey's Anatomy was like huge on TV, mm. and Sandra Oh was like this beautiful Asian person who was brilliant and talented yeah. and on TV, network TV every week. And mm. all of this was starting to collide, where mm. in my desperate search to find myself, and as I was enjoying myself being on stage all throughout these years, I found myself thinking, maybe I should just go into acting. Yeah. Maybe I'm crazy enough to, to pursue acting. And that's kind of what led me to move out to L.A. one day. And like this pursuit of myself and being influenced by Sandra Oh through Grey's Anatomy wow. and, and being completely unhappy and wanting some sort of change. Yeah. All of that without any kind of spiritual implication or reliance I, I just ended up deciding I'm just going to pursue acting I'm going to see wow. what happens and I found myself moving out to LA in 2008 and very quickly in a foreign city such as LA filled yeah. with gazillions of artists and creatives trying yeah. to do the same thing once more I hit that bottom I hit that brick mm-hmm. wall of like wait I'm nobody again I'm nobody <laughs> yeah. anytime I try to do something for myself apparently I suck at it and <laughs> nobody wants me nobody loves me I'm broke you oh, know yeah. I'm scared yeah. all I have is this dingy car this dingy apartment I have no idea what's gonna happen my parents once more was like if you want to ruin your life go ahead and do it you know there was a lot of this tension inner tension and I, I found myself one night in the car like crying and like completely messed up and it was like close to 2.30 a.m. and I remember saying, God, you who apparently exists, right? <laughs> yeah. You that every single one of my family members worship, like whatever, like if you're for real, you better show up right now. Hmm. And if you show up right now, then maybe it's worth kind of, I don't know, starting up something with you again. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's worth actually trusting in you yeah and your plans whatever that might be because mm-hmm. right now i'm finding myself so lost and so alone and recognizing that anytime i try to do anything for myself i find myself in the same dang place and i yeah. hate it mm. and i hate myself and i have, wow. I have no idea what i'm going to be doing with the rest of my life and so just show up mm. and i think in that car i had my very first supernatural encounter with the lord and he showed up just as i think um you know I, i've been referring to that male patriarchy like i think he showed up as a loving father i think mm. i experienced the presence of a loving father for the very first time in my life and i yeah. truly felt the father's embrace like mm. i felt him stroking my hair i felt him patting my back wow and i could hear him saying i'm right here and i've always been here mm. you, you've refused to look at me but i've always mm. been here And I care a lot about you. So mm. let's just, let's start things in you. Now, I kind of directly heard that tangibly. Mm. And that began my renaissance with the Lord. And kind of the next 10 years also is a blur. But, you know, I think that really kick-started my willingness to kind of submit to God's will, understanding that it was probably going to be a lot better than mine. Wow. Yeah. So how did, in that moment, all of that come together? You know, like who you you trying to find yourself and you're exploring all these avenues and mm. you just kind of felt free to explore and so how did that kind of all come together as far as like acting and now your newfound relationship with god and then even like music because yeah. now you're you know you're in, really into music or you're still creating music exactly. and so how did that all kind of come together so that's the crazy part because i didn't seek that at all 
all. Yeah. Like that combination is something that I did not like it was like things combusting yeah so uh, I, I I moved to LA to pursue acting 2008 mm-hmm. and now it's like 2018 it's been 10 years wow. and I think I went through the grind of like you know sending out 150 headshots because at that time we still mailed them out to agencies wow. and so <laughs> you know out of 150 I heard back from like seven yeah and I would have these meetings and I got an offer from two just starting out so basically I started um, out that way, really okay. like hitting the pavement. And uh, after I found representation, both theatrically, which means film and TV, and then mm-hmm. commercially, which means specifically from commercials, um, you know, I, I slowly started booking like, you know, a couple of commercials here and there. I think mm-hmm. my only real claim to fame is like a McDonald's commercial that oh, I filmed hey. a while back. It was like a really <laughs> long time ago. And then I got my SAG voucher, so I was able to join, you know, the union and became an official member of the union. Okay. And so I did a couple of, um, you know, indie films here and, and um, did some a lot of extra work too. So... As that was going on, and as I, again, once more entered into an actual authentic relationship with God, I started to get more involved with the local church. And Mm. so at that time, you know, people slowly started to find out, oh, January kind of can do music. Mm. Uh, She's a pastor's daughter, so therefore she knows not only just how to play violin really well, but she can play like a little bit of everything, Mm -hmm. which is like a very, I think, pastor's kid thing. Like, you know how to play a little bit of everything. So... One year, they just asked me to start leading worship for children's ministry. Okay. And so at that time, I still didn't really know how to play guitar very well, but I kind of picked up the guitar, and um, slowly that you know serving stint went from children's ministry to, to youth ministry. Mm-hmm. So the next year, I joined the youth group, and I was leading worship for youth group. Mm-hmm. And then a year after that, there was like this church planting team where from that church that I was part of, they were like, we want to plant an extension of our church in Los Angeles. And so the worship pastor was like, you know what? I think you might actually be a really good fit for a worship team. Do you think that you join as like an assistant worship leader? And so it slowly developed into me stepping up into adult congregational Mm. worship leading. And they, because it was a church plant, they kind of needed me to kind of shuffle around. Mm. So my guitar playing then, of course, extended into violin playing which, and then that kind of led to me picking up the bass because mm. they needed another bass player to kind of yeah. rotate around. And then I would kind of utilize my voice, and I'm by no means a good singer, but, you know, I could hold a note. Mm. And so they were like, okay, we'll just kind of have you do whatever we need you to do. And that kind of developed for, like, the next three years as I was doing the whole acting thing. Oh, yeah. Now, cool. once more, I just saw music more as, like, a lay ministry thing. Okay. Yeah. I didn't see it as anything professional. But all of a sudden, within the four years, as I was getting more and more comfortable playing violin in a non-classical setting, a really a couple of good musician friends of mine was like, "Hey, do you mind like filling in for this kind of indie gig that we have, like folk mm-hmm. music thing mm-hmm. that we're doing?" And so I was kind of like, "You know, I don't really do that, but <laughs> why not? Yeah, sure." sure. Yeah. And so I kind of it, it started to expand things okay. like that. It mm-hmm. just started to expand my my sphere of. Um, just musical genres and musical platforms and I started to realize that oh like the 11 to 13 years that I spent as a child is actually kind of coming into play this is interesting and because you didn't expect that totally not and if anything I dropped it you know when I went to film school it was my act of defiance I'm so done Wow. I'm not going to do this again this represents everything that I did not want the control the atmosphere the structure the perfectionism Mm -hmm. All of that. So wow. 
It was so cool. what was your transition back to like a church setting? So it was after I moved to LA and um, a couple of my friends uh, that I knew, the very few people that I knew in LA, um, they were like people I met actually in Boston. Hmm. And they were kind of like, oh, my brother's friend goes to this church. You yeah. just want to come. And by virtue of not knowing anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? And being lonely. Yeah. You know? Like, I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I ended back into the church. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't as if I was being intentional whatsoever. In yeah. fact, you know, when I moved to LA, I, like, I thought I was like, I thought I was really the coolest person that I ever knew. <laughs> so... You know, I thought I looked great and I felt great. And, you know, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to take over the world. And I am, you need to get to know me. Like, that's how I felt. (laughs) So I would enter into these spaces, like with that attitude. And people did not like that, surprisingly. Yeah. I don't know why. (laughs) I guess it turned them off. So very quickly, I found myself alone. And that's Mm. what, again, led me to that moment in my car. Yeah. But again once i discovered god like i was like there's really only one place to find him consistently on a sunday basis mm-hmm. and it's within the local church yeah and so i started going to church seriously yeah. i guess if you will and mm-hmm. it was really for me yeah, yeah, yeah um it wasn't for anybody else and um again that kind of blossomed into like a very slow trek into growing as a lay leader within the church yeah yeah and that's so cool. that's kind of what happened and um so the whole music thing, as it kind of grew like into like these different spheres, around two and a half years ago, I went to this Heidi Baker conference in Pasadena. At that time, um, um, the worship leaders from Bethel were there, and they were going, you know, full force on that stage, right? Like <laughs> bodies were flopping, and you know, voices were going haywire, and everyone was so high octane, and mm-hmm. you know, like I was like, whoa. This is so intense. Yeah. Holy Spirit, come on, you know? And I yeah. was like kind of reaching the stratosphere of my own personal, you know, spiritual mm. worship. And I got this split vision of me worshiping on stage with these people on the violin. Oh, wow. And I had to catch myself and be like, whoa, is that pride? Is that vanity? Yeah. Is that some sort of like crazy, wild, like, what is that? Mm. And I had a really quick tete-a-tete with the Lord in that moment. And I was like, God, what is that? Like, what was that picture? And he was like, do you think it's a coincidence that you've been trained for something years, like 10 plus years in music? Do you think it's a coincidence that I brought you back into it slowly but surely? Mm -hmm. And he started asking me like bullet questions, like Mm -hmm. throwing them at me. And I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. It's already impossible. It's been like eight years of acting and I've gotten nowhere. And I don't know if I can do the whole music thing on top of that. Like, that's crazy. What are you trying to say? And then he was kind of like, nothing is impossible for me. Mm -hmm. And I will do that in your life. And I kind of had to sit there and weep it out Mm. because I realized that God really wanted to use every part of my life for Mm. his glory. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So what was your relationship with your parents throughout all of this? Mm. Or like, and when you decided to like, I don't know, I guess start going back to church or just even go to seminary, like what was that for them? And and as a woman on top of that. Yeah. So, um... Like I said, they were not for me going to film school in Boston. They were really antagonistic about it. But um, 
because I got pretty much a full ride to school, they couldn't say anything mm -hmm. really about it at the end of the day. Um, when I was in Boston, they were kind of hands off for a little while. When I decided to pursue acting, they were shocked once more mm -hmm. because if anything, being a director to them was a lesser of two evils, mm -hmm. becoming a producer, at least it was like a business sort of mm -hmm. thing, steady paycheck. Um, and also, like you say, as a woman, um, to go into acting, to go into the film industry, yeah. it's just like a harsh road. Yeah. And they, I think they had the envisioning of like the casting couch, mm -hmm. right? Or like as an Asian American woman, just being looked down upon mm -hmm. and being just so uh, marginalized. Mm -hmm. And I think my mom of all people, because she is such a strong, strong person. I think she's been the breadwinner all of her life mm -hmm. um, as much as my dad has been the face of her family mm -hmm. like my mom has done all the pulling mm -hmm. and she's truly lived out like the American dream in my opinion of starting off as like five part-time saleswoman piano teacher pastor's wife to becoming life insurance agents becoming certified and licensed mm -hmm. and now like buying mm -hmm. a house and all that right that's yeah. all of my mom I think my mom did not want me to kind of go through the instability mm -hmm. yeah. of everything that she's encountered. Mm -hmm. And as an only child and as an only daughter, mm -hmm. she was just like, what is your problem? <laughs> like, <laughs> just, just stop. Yeah, like, why are you choosing this? Mm -hmm. Like, this makes no sense. Yeah. Do you want to suffer like I did? Look mm -hmm. at my hands. Look, mm -hmm. look, I have early onset arthritis. Mm -hmm. Like, look at how much I've suffered. Yeah. Don't you want to meet a nice husband mm -hmm. who can provide for you? Yeah. Like, your career is not going to help you find someone mm -hmm. like a doctor and a lawyer. I hate mm -hmm. to be stereotypical, but seriously, doctor, mm -hmm. lawyer, right? Yeah. Like, she really wanted me to have on paper everything that would allow me to have an easier life. Yeah. So I think my dad, if anything, strangely enough, even though we've, we, we didn't have a close relationship growing up and actually quite a difficult one because he was never demonstrative or affectionate, like he was actually a little bit more open-minded about my artistic endeavors. Mm -hmm. He was kind of like hands-off. Like, again, mm -hmm. if you want to screw mm -hmm. it up, it's on you. It's mm -hmm. not on me. Yeah. So it was a little bit more like that. But I think for mo my mom, it was always difficult. However, I would say throughout the transitions that I've gone through and the fact that they've seen me come back to the church and serve it faithfully and now enter into seminary kind of almost fearlessly, mm -hmm. I think they feel a sense of assurance, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the sense of like, oh, our daughter is still very grounded. We don't know how. <laughs> like, I think my mom was like, how? Because yeah. <laughs> she has no sense of what a dollar means. Or like, she's like, <laughs> it's still very single at the age of 33 and she may never have children. Okay. But she seems to be very comfortable in her own skin. And yeah. if anything, I feel like they sense it. I think there's a sense of awe about mm. that. Like, how is her daughter so confident? Mm. Or how is she just so fearless? Mm. And I think there's a sense of like, huh. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we must have done something right. Yeah. Because, of course, you're going to take credit for it. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. yeah, there's still a lot of struggles about finances. There's a lot of talk yeah. right now about, again, future spouse, mm. what I'm going to do in the future. Mm. My dad is now really insistent that, like, I should go get my PhD. Mm like in church history which is like so related to music and mm. the arts uh. no it's not you know like i'm just kind of it's interesting mm -hmm. to see their kind of turnaround yeah. and it's always through the back door it's never going to be like i'm so proud of you i'm so glad you chose these things but it's like how did this happen yeah it's like you're, oh wow yeah, you're actually a decent person you can care for someone you can be pastor really you <laughs> like, 
funny. <laughs> but yeah. it's like that life experience, mm-hmm. you know? It's mm-hmm. that, like, taking those chances, taking those risks, and, like, like you said, like, recognizing that God's there the whole time. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. you'll fall on your face, but he's like, all right, girl, let's do this. Come on, you know? Yeah. So I think that's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned something earlier that I thought was really interesting. Um, representation, and specifically seeing Sandra O oh up yeah. there. And, yeah. like, how meaningful that was to you. Yes. And so talk to me about that. Like, just representation and just what it's like to see women who look like you or who represent who you are, you know, um, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. out there in the world. So, um, I think, so I think three things come to mind. One is definitely, yeah, seeing Sandra O oh on TV and play a character that's a badass mm-hmm. and that is unashamed yeah. and can be intelligent and mm-hmm. sassy at the same time. Her character in itself really inspired me mm-hmm. and seeing someone not play, you know, the China doll, someone yeah. not play... Uh, and and also to have a Korean woman play a Korean woman, yeah, huge, yeah, right. Awesome. To not have a Chinese American mm. play a Korean American woman, yeah. like to me, I was like, this is a first. To have her be top billed, to have her win awards and be recognized mm. by ninety nine percent non Asian community mm. of actors, and it's it's undeniable. Her talent is undeniable. Mm. So for me, that was so hugely important and so instrumental once more in me actually having the courage of saying like, you know what, I don't. I don't look like the most beautiful Asian woman, but if Sandra O oh can be on TV physically, so can I. Mm. Yeah, there was a spectrum of women that I was starting to see mm. that I could see myself in the middle of. Yeah. Right? So I really love that. So that was one thing. Uh, in terms of that vision that I had of, you know, worshiping on stage with these, you know, huge worship leaders, top worship leaders, mm. a part of it was that I did not see, and I've still not seen, an Asian female worship leader. Mm in really like touring around. Yeah. I've seen background vocalists and I've seen maybe a couple of instrumentalists at that. But to this day, I've not seen at like huge Christian conferences an Asian yeah. woman truly rocking it out and really being comfortable in her own mm-hmm. skin. And not seeing that and seeing a huge vacancy in that, mm-hmm. I think inspired me actually yeah. to be able to kind of step into these roles. Even if I don't feel comfortable nor mm-hmm. nearly as adequate mm-hmm. as a performer or as a musician or as a singer or whatever mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. right? Like I felt like the vacancy that I noticed, the lack of representation has truly inspired me. So that's mm-hmm. another huge thing. And I think too, um, there was um, a fuller at the baccalaureate service there was a silent protest held by African-American students. And, you know, as an Asian-American person, my tendency is never to speak up when something bothers me. Mm. Actually, again, it's kind of dig your head in the sand and do well. Do Mm. well, be noticed for your skill sets. But being a part of that service and seeing what unfolded in front of me, Mm. there was this peaceful protest that still felt raw and honest and sincere mm-hmm. and people were affected by it. Yeah. Noticing that context and how silent I had been up until that point mm-hmm. um, and how unwilling I had been to represent my own race and my mm-hmm. own gender, mm-hmm. that really challenged me and stirred me. Right. That made me realize like I am not using my voice. Mm-hmm. I'm not speaking up. In fact, I have been way too comfortable kind of sitting here in the corners, just kind of waiting for things to happen, mm-hmm. which I'm slowly starting to re- like realize 
nothing is going to happen. <laughs> like if I'm just yeah. sitting here in the corner. Yeah. Right? If I'm not on stage and representing other like Asian women, yeah. Asian women are not going to see Asian women. You know, and I think yeah. that is something that I'm like, all these things are starting to collide in my head. I'm like, yeah, I think, I think I need to use my voice, mm. whether it's through my instrument or whether it's yeah. through um, these characters on TV or film or whether it's just even speaking pastorally into someone's life mm. at a coffee shop. But like, I need to utilize my voice, Yeah, you know, and it's not just for me, but it's for other people down yeah. the line. Amen. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually a perfect transition to what I wanted to ask you. Um, when it comes to using your voice, when it comes to uh, protest or resistance, um, just in, in the general sense of what resistance is, because that can mean so many different things. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, how does music play into that? Or how does creativity, how does... Um, and I know you, you just touched on that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But just personally to you, like mm-hmm. when you create music, because I've had you know the opportunity to hear you create beautiful music mm-hmm. um, and play beautiful music. Music thank you, thank you. yeah so and so how does that um what does that do for you yeah just in worship and just in general mm. oh man resistance it's really interesting that you asked that question because i never considered it as resistance mm. but i think it's a beautiful way of, of putting it because i think my music at the core of it is um i think you could describe it as raw mm. and i think you could dis- i think there's a sense of maybe exposure mm. and a ripping off of certain layers mm. of, of maybe my heart mm-hmm. um, and I think that kind of strain is is experienced in any kind of music that I play mm. whether I'm on the bass which I'm really not that great at or the acoustic guitar or I like to see my broken voice or mm. um, yeah especially on the violin and mm. um I think that to a certain extent, I've always been told as a pastor's kid to stick myself in between the lines, right? Mm. To stay in a square box Mm. of whatever that box should look like, right? On Mm. a given Sunday. Or even as a classical musician, you have to stay within the notes Mm. or within the melody lines or the refrains that the composer has written for you. Mm. Um, As an Asian American woman in acting, there's always a certain expectation. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, obviously, we're riding this crazy rich Asian wave right now. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit different today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's I'm still very my new. Right, yeah. It's very, very new yeah. and very recent. But I think, especially as a Korean American, once more, I'm going to touch on this. It's like, as a woman, you, you kind of have to stay in the background. You have to stay indoors, mm-hmm. uh, metaphorically speaking, and sometimes literally too, right? or back in the kitchen or you know while the men are out there kind of doing that so i think the fact that my music in itself is raw is a resistance to that Mm -hmm. the fact that i tend to um (laughs) i don't tend to sing gently but i tend to shout things out Mm -hmm. is a resistance to that the fact that my movements on the violin um it's not particularly uh, graceful, but mm. but I've know, seen you. Yeah, you get into it. I, I yeah, yeah, I start stomping sometimes, or I start I start moving, or I I nod, or I boom yeah. as I yeah. you know, yeah. play, or, or I I just move freely. Mm. I think that freedom mm. is a resistance mm. to being told, no, don't move, mm. stay silent, 
shut up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Really, I think that in itself, the freedom that I display um, and the kind of boldness that I think I intrinsically carry to say, to sing, to play, and to tell stories that I just feel like should be told or sung or played, yeah. I think that is truly my mode of resistance. Totally. Yeah, so it's interesting. I think to that extent, like the music that I arrange or play all the time, that it's not always going to be like loud. I think there's always some sort of a journey that I, I portray and usually, it usually starts off very soft mm. because that's how I experienced my journey. Yeah. It was within the box, but then somehow I, I like learn how to break out of it and now it's like you can't hold it back. Mm. So with each one of my, I think, musics or the way I tend to arrange things, it kind of falls along that trajectory of like starting soft, but it reaches some sort of chaotic moment mm. and the layers start colliding. Mm. And then it kind of calms down into something else as well. And it, re it resolves, if you will, into this kind of either resigned state of like, mm. well, it is what it is, mm. or no, I've reached a new state of calmness and peace and I'm gonna choose this instead of what I began with. So there is something of that journey that I think I personally think I like to portray. That's beautiful. So, uh, so what is it that people can go if they want to like listen to your stuff or get to know more about you? <laughs> I'm so shy. <laughs> Only because everything is in raw form, like I said. Nothing is polished. There you go, resistance. <laughs> That's right. What is it like to listen to C-level music? I'm just kidding. No. I. You can either check out my YouTube page, um, youtube.com slash jlim0385, or you can go to my Instagram handle where um, I unabashedly share my life openly. And Because, again, I don't consider my artistic life to be justified in music. Mm -hmm. I consider it to be defined by community, um, just by candid moments, um, like short clips. It doesn't have to be long, like 15-second musical yeah. interludes even. like. You can experience that on my Instagram uh, handle, January underscore Lim. Is that right? Yeah, yes. underscore. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, January. This was so great to hear from you, and excited to for people to to hear more of your music. Thank you, Kat. Yeah. Yeah.